Hello and welcome to Best Comics Ever. I'm your host, Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I'm joined today by John Galati, writer supreme over at Comic Book Herald and a host of other places. Today we are going to be going deep on The Green Lantern by Grant Morrison, Liam Sharp, Steve Olip, Tom Orzakowski. And we are going to be asking the question about this comic references the Silver Age. In a lot of ways it plays as DC's Silver Age and we're going to be asking the question, does it work? And is it a good idea to bring in as much of the DC Universe Silver Age as Grant Morrison does? And then I think organically, you know, we're going to be talking about the first 10 issues in annual of the Green Lantern that have been released to date. Which will also lead us, I think, a little bit into other references that Morrison is making. Because he's not just pulling from DC Silver Age, including his own works like the Multiversity. But... Let's start with the big question, John. This is a a sort of a nostalgic look back at DC's Silver Age. Um, what was your initial reaction to this approach to the Green Lantern? And I guess, do you think it like works off the bat, or did it take you some time? That's a good question. I I grew up reading Silver Age comics, so there's a part of me that was super excited to hear about this. I know that Morrison's a big fan of that age and the the kind of the psychological ethos of it, you know, and I was excited about that, but I was also concerned because that's so far flung from what we do now that there's such a huge gulf, especially at DC, between what was done in the Silver Age and what is done today that I was a little concerned that it was going to be a hard read now. Yeah, so let's let's define this, I think, a little bit for um, those of you who might have less familiarity with like different ages in comic book history, because I think one of the things that makes... DC's what is called the Silver Age. And this is, I think, effectively, we're looking at basically like from the time Barry Allen begins as the Flash in, I want to say, approximately 1956 on through to about like, let's just for argument's sake, say 1972. You know, so there's there's a range of there of like late 50s, mostly the 60s comics where DC is sort of refreshing their superhero universe into what we know it as today. And they do this about four or five years before Marvel and Stanley and Jack Kirby would really enter the scene with Fantastic Four number one. But I think the thing that's interesting in a lot of ways about like all the so comic book writers today, they can reference back to the history of the publisher. Right. And some do this in very interesting ways. And Morrison, as a longtime DC Comics writer, has a history of doing this. Um, at a very rapid clip, right? He will reference things that happened and there will be like no editorial note, no context. It's just, it's for, it's, it's for the diehards, right? You know, it's Wikipedia without footnotes. Like there's no clue. (laughs) It's just, you know it or you don't unless you're, you know, exploring it yourself. But with DC, there's so much to their history in a way that Marvel doesn't even quite have that there's a lot more to pull from. And we're seeing that here in this book where it's like, I know it's not the Dark Ages, but the Silver Age has kind of felt like that, I think, too, because tonally, it doesn't really match with where DC has sort of presented themselves and wanted to be since, like, 1985, right? Since Crisis. And really, nobody's been doing DC stuff. We should back up to explain. So Marvel's approach to the Silver Age comics were to do character-driven work, which is very in line with what we do now in modern comics. So they had... Peter Parker worrying about homework and they had, you know, the Fantastic Four inventing business stuff, all these great things. Meanwhile, DC's approach was more powers and spectacle based. So they had Superboy, 
you know, uh, juggling planets, or they had Hal Jordan running into crazy aliens and, and making large-scale uh, attack drones or something out of, out of green light. And those two different approaches, one has aged well, and that's Marvel's, and the others kind of hasn't. Uh, well, it's things like it's things that I think are played for comedy a lot yeah, of times today, like fair. a cover of Superman with the lion head. Yeah, and he's like, "Lois, my head has turned into a lion. What shall I do now?" And it's I think it gets played. It, it's almost like it's kind of mocked. I think you know you don't get a lot of a lot of comic book fans taking it seriously. There's a I lot guess, of embarrassment. Which is, yeah, yeah. There's almost there's almost some shame. It's almost got that. It's like the the tenor of Batman '66. Mm-hmm. I think for a long time. Where it was like, oh, this isn't really Batman. I think you get some of that with DC Silver Age, where it's like, no, this is goofier than I like my Hal Jordan or I like my Superman. But in the pages of the Green Lantern, we have Morrison pretty staunchly rejecting that premise, and I think it's very interesting as a result. Well, he's he's really made the argument, and it's I think it's right, is that the the Silver Age was the birth of the idea of multiple realities within comics. That that was where you had Barry Allen running into the other Flash that started it all. And you had uh, Green Lantern was famous for that, but so was Batman. Superman constantly ran into other world Superman. Uh, And there's this this levity to it that really lends itself well, I think, to Morrison's style. That it's the idea that if anything is possible, and if we can just use our imagination to do whatever, then it's fantastic. Uh, And it's also kind of interesting because I think DC's... Silver Age stuff had a lot of comic books that weren't that had plots that weren't solved by direct conflict because of the mm-hmm. Comics Code Authority. And you had a lot of people who would come up with goofy ways out of situations or they would vent them way, their ways out of situations that worked so well. So it's I like the heart of the Silver Age for that, even if it's sometimes problematic at its power creep. Yeah, and I think, too, it also, one thing you see, particularly in Silver Age Green Lantern, which is something I've only gone back and read because of this series, like I will fully admit, um, but you have sci-fi concepts being explored at a rapid clip, um, and sometimes they're very outlandish, but sometimes they're also, like, even through a modern lens, very fun. You know, you mm-hmm. can see the kernel of the idea that is, like, extremely entertaining, and I think that's what... That's what Morrison and Sharp and company are doing in the Green Lantern that is so cool is they're cherry picking all the best ideas or all the the kind of wildest sci-fi concepts. Mm-hmm. And then they're like they're tackling in theory one, you know, per issue, like almost a thematic one, but also throughout the issue, they'll sprinkle in just like the reference overload oh, yeah. in this series. I mean the degree of I I don't know about you, but I haven't had as fun a time following like annotated style guides while rereading something in in so long. I mean, truly, like, and, and I have to give a shout out here. There, I don't know if you saw these, but there's reviews on uh, Adventures in Poor Taste that are so thorough and so detailed. It genuinely added to my reading experience, which nice. is like to me the ultimate. Like you, you wrote a good review. Yeah, <laughs> like that made the comic better because I understood it now. Um, but so, okay, before I'm effusing more praise, let's talk a little bit about what some of these concepts are that actually get used in the contemporary Green Lantern. Like, what are some of the sort of things that Morrison, Sharp, and company are pulling in? I'll let you start. The The most obvious one is the idea of multiple worlds. That yeah. 
the this was a, a situation that came up a lot in the Silver Age that they would come up with a story where they wanted Green Lantern to be, you know, a, an actual Wild West sheriff or something, and they can't justify it in a story. So that happens on Earth three, or they want him to fight dragons, can't really justify it. That's Earth fifteen or something. So that's yeah. kind of the the starting point for this entire idea. Yeah, I I think a few other things, and that one. That one has been a favorite of Morrison's for a long time, I think, you know, and, and I think the clearest reference there is the 2015 series he wrote called The Multiversity, in which right smack in the middle of it, and I've been pulling this one out as I've been reading The Green Lantern, <laughs> there's the, Morrison himself mapped out the 52 universes in the DC multiverse, and he gives a name and a definition and some detail around each one. And that's coming back in a huge way. And this is where this is where the Green Lantern really started to blow me away in a in a way that I'm like, oh, this is this is feeling like maybe it's going to be one of my favorite books of the decade when all is said and done because it's doing everything we just talked about with exploring and expanding Silver Age concepts, you know, and and pulling in some of the sci-fi. But then by the time we get to like issues nine, ten, and then presumably eleven, which hasn't been released yet. And I think it'll mark the end of season one. It's basically a sequel to Multiversity. Yeah. And now we're pulling in the Green Lantern core of the multiverse to to figure out what's going on with the Quaman, who's the big bad from Quard, Q-W-A-R-D, which is the, what is it? The planet of, not the anti-monitors, what's the word? Um, antimatter. It's where antimatter comes from. And that comes all the way from the Silver Age in one of the first Green Lantern issues. So it's like there's connective tissue from like 56 to 2015 that enhances your read of this book or enhances my read of this book uh, dramatically. And I think that's all very, very cool. Let me ask you before we get back to the Silver Age stuff. How did – so there was sort of a pitch of this book that was Hal Jordan back to his roots as a beat cop. And sort of a pitch, too, of like, we're going to do the Silver Age kind of in earnest. It's going to be these almost like one-off issues. Maybe there's some connective tissue. It's become this sort of multiversity, too. How did you feel about that transition? Like, is that something you were looking forward to? Or are you just kind of along for the ride? I always knew it was going to happen. Like, the idea of, I love Grant Morrison, but the idea of Grant Morrison sticking to the script on his own book is hilarious. (laughs) Um, And it's, to be fair, it really does start off as a a pretty solid police procedural and it it takes its time to get weirder and stranger so that absolutely worked for me i the only thing that i don't like about it is that it has it has delayed the timing uh or it has delayed the pace of the book such that we are only getting into the call to action right around issue nine and ten yeah and that's that's kind of extreme but that's also directly in keeping with silver age stuff like it took them so long to get to things that i'm not i shouldn't be surprised but it makes it more difficult as a read right now uh as a modern comics where i'm just expecting everything to be exploding all of the time yeah no i I found it very interesting as well i mean i think i think the multiversity stuff is what i expected and what i wanted out of grant morrison because that's more when I've come to the writer and I've come the things that I've really enjoyed, that's the stuff that I was looking for. And it almost led to a sense of like a little disappointment with the book up front where Hmm. the second issue, for example, was basically Hal Jordan playing good cop, bad cop 
with uh, a spider pirate of the planet Vega. And that that to me was like I'm like oh it's just not what I expected, <laughs> you know from from this writer. Even though it should have been, they told us it was going to be more of a police procedural. Um, but that stuff to me was like now I almost miss it. And maybe we'll get back to it as, the, as oh, we'll we kind of get into a season two, right? Um, but I guess let's so to give a little plot, and I want to do a ton of plot here. The series begins with Hal Jordan is again returning to his sort of basically he gets he gets back on the Green Lantern Corps to begin with. So like yeah. the series starts, he's like he doesn't have his ring. He gets one. Okay, long story short. Um and, and that's the thing about like if you're worried about like DC rebirth continuity or like what's happening in the Green Lantern books or with anything else, it doesn't matter. Like yeah. for this book. For this book in particular. I, I I always like to think, you know, all comics matter all the time and Graham Morrison's like, you know, that's his philosophy. But he's not playing heavily onto what happened in previous arcs of Green Lantern. So anyway, long story short, they're investigating something. In the course of that investigation, the Guardians of Oa, those those powerful little blue men and women, maybe, I don't know. Or do they have genders? It's irrelevant. They, they ask Hal to play double agent, basically with this rising organization of sort of a, they're almost like... Um, a Green Lantern analog, evil analog. They're called the Black Stars here, which is a play on the Dark Stars, mm-hmm. who, to my understanding, they're only not still called the Dark Stars because that organization was actually used, like, in the last arc of DC Rebirth <laughs> Green Lantern, and it would have been awkward, I guess. Well, also, um, Black Star makes more sense to Green Lantern. Totally, totally. So there, there's some some sense to that, I think. Um which they kind of, you know, back their way into. But so Hal is pretending to be on the side of this organization, or is he kind of, you know, this mm-hmm. maybe questioning, he's maybe questioning the Lantern Corps, like, as a police force. I know, let's pause there, because when Hal goes undercover, he sees the other side, he sees the Black Stars, and he sees how they're sort of rejecting the the Guardians of the Universe and the Green Lanterns as this all-dominant police force. Do you want more of this from the Green Lantern? Like, do you want to see... This sort of, you know, Silver Age inspired exploration of what does it mean to have this type of, you know, police force? Because obviously there's like a contemporary political climate that that is asking those sorts of questions. I don't know that the Green Lantern is doing it great. It sort of throws it out there. And then I don't know that it's really the it's not the focus of the book. Yeah, it's not. I think that 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 idea has kind of been sidetracked for the time being while we're we're addressing the multiversal issue. It is something, personally, it is something that I would like them to address, if only because it will help fix some issues with Hal as a character. Like, Hal is, traditionally, the most boring of the Green Lanterns. Okay, I was going to ask, do you like Hal? I I do, I do. I think there's a consensus that that's true, even for fans. Yeah, like, I I loved the build-up to the Parallax Saga. Like, I was hardcore on board. But at just if you if you laid out a character sheet like you were building a D&D campaign or something, uh, yeah. Hal Jordan Green Lantern is the most boring one. You've got uh, Alan Scott, who's the magical one, inherently awesome magic. You have... <laughs> also, he fights Solomon Grundy a lot, which I feel like is in his favor. Also cool, flamboyant outfit. Yeah. He looks like he's uh, going to work a piano in Vegas. He's great. Yeah, that collar. Oh, boy. On top of which, he winds up being the grandpa, and he was amazing in um, Checkmate. He's incredible in Checkmate. Oh, he's really good in Checkmate. So good. Good call. So, you know, he's he's a lock. 
Then you've got John Stewart, who's the former army man and an engineer. His constructions are really interesting, you know, really well thought out, very exacting. His thinking is tactical. He's a really cool guy. I like him as a GL. You've got Kyle Rayner, who's the artistic one, who's probably the most powerful out of all of them, frankly. Yeah. And then you've got Hal, who's like awkwardly in the middle, where he's just a normal dude. And that's, you can do some great stuff with that as a character, but he need today I think he needs a little bit more than just like token older white dude. Like, he doesn't he doesn't do a lot he's not imaginative when later on in the issues in like three i think when he punches out god with the green boxing glove like it's a great (laughs) scene but it's also like that's the dumbest thing possible hal like this guy looks like the abramic god and you are just going to hit him in the face with a large glove like (laughs) this is this is horrible thinking uh yeah no it's like it's it's like perfectly average, which is funny in the in the mm-hmm. face of God. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, comedy. Um, but great. it is. He's like he's very cliche superhero. Like just like yeah, he's a he's the good guy. Yeah, he's you know, and like obviously over time he has flaws and he has character quirks. But I think personality wise, I would agree. I mean, I do think it's interesting. Like if you came to Green Lantern from like 1992 to 2004. You either love Kyle Rayner mm-hmm. or you grew up watching John Stewart on Justice League Unlimited. Yeah. But Hal Jordan was just like this weird, like, hey, is he a ghost or what's he's the specter or like what? You know, it's like all this stuff. And then you get mid 2000s. Jeff Johns comes back and says, no, he's my favorite. So we're going to do cool things with Hal. And if you came to Green Lantern, then you might not understand at all this like context of, wait, people don't like Hal? Like, this is, he's the coolest. These stories are amazing, you know? It's also such a super interesting fit uh, with Morrison because Morrison is known for creating really interesting power sets for his heroes. He mm-hmm. gave Flash the infinite mass punch. He's really the guy who turned Batman into the superpower tactician that he is now. Yeah. And right. for him to have... Uh, Hal Jordan, who's the least imaginative of the Green Lanterns, it's an odd fit. So I'm kind of hoping that they get back to the police story, if only because I think that that could kind of flesh out Hal's thought process a little bit more when he's doing stuff, as opposed to just thinking like a cop all the time. Yeah, yeah. No, I think think there's a lot more that could be done, and I just don't know that they're going to do it with the police proceed. Like, and there's there's a part of me that love like i said i love this multiverse stuff but there's a part of me that's like okay they interrogated the the spider pirate of vega that's the closest we got to like green lanterns hanging around the precinct you know cuz from there issue 3 it's about the like basically god is collecting planets and there's a then an auction with like every dc cosmic type alien you've ever seen like um, Sharp's reference points of aliens in that is incredible, and that's mm-hmm. the that's the other thing about the references in this. It's both Morrison in plot and in narrative, but uh, Sharp and Olaf and the team are dropping like DC stuff left and right. It, it's such a fun book to like pick stuff out of. But from there, it only gets more cosmic. We go to Ran. We have a team up for a you know a, a semi team up with Adam Strange, and then we get my favorite issue of I'm going to say the whole series so far, which is Green Lantern number eight which is that classic throwback Green Lantern, Green Arrow team-up. And this one pulls from the Silver Age in my favorite way ever. And honestly, like you don't even need the context of the issue that it's pulling from to enjoy this one. I think some of them you do maybe, 
Like you feel like you're missing someone. But in this one, Hal and and Oliver Queen, they go to bust a drug warehouse in a classic Green Lantern, Green Arrow team up. And they see a giant arrow as they're approaching the, the warehouse. And they're like, this is okay. This is already getting weird. And then when they get inside, they find a giant Oliver Queen splayed out on the floor, struggling to breathe because of the gravity. And this is known as the Zine, X-E-E-N, Arrow. This is from a Jack Kirby Green Arrow comic. That's amazing. <laughs> I had no idea. That's so, I, I had forgotten he even did like this weird pre-Marvel Green Arrow run. And this is his. Uh, this was his concept of Green Arrow and I think Speedy. They travel to um, to this alternate reality in again in like 1956 in an issue of I think Strange Adventures, and they meet Zine Arrow, who's just a really big Green Arrow. <laughs> it's, it's so fun. Um, but but Morrison and, and Sharp and Company, they just have him laying in this warehouse trying to like trying to communicate telepathically with ollie and long story short it's like stuff like that is so fun like i really like seeing them bust crimes i really but simultaneously pulling in weird and wacky ideas you know so it's like it's the police procedural but elevated on this crazy cosmic level and i think that's the green lantern so far when it's at its best that's what it's been doing or able to do yeah the the sheer number of odd little aliens and and throwbacks reference are amazing. If you're going to bring up Zine Arrow, we have to talk about my beautiful boy, Volk, the living volcano. Like, <laughs> he is my yeah. perfect child, and I love him. He's amazing. He's am- And he has, like, a really substantial supporting run. <laughs> I know. He's, throughout this book. He yeah. has things to say. He has agency. It's I have been so impressed with how Morrison and Sharp have been managing to make all the interactions kind of work because there is something inherently hilarious about watching Hal, normal Earth man, talk to a guy who's a living volcano or talk to Chizan, who's the the crystal guy, who is so awkwardly put together. It's just embarrassing. And seeing him with his angry face uh, in issue 10, where uh, Chizan is helping cordon off the area. With uh, somebody who's not Volk, but who's another volcano-headed person, and seeing him try and take charge is yeah, fantastic. It's very fun. And I, I think that's one thing that they've done really well is the Green Lanterns that they're choosing as supporting players feel alien in a way that a lot of times Green Lantern core books sometimes like a lot of times they don't because you get um, either sort of human-like or anthropomorphized animals, mm-hmm. you know. And the ones they're choosing are like, no, this Green Lantern has a volcano for a head, and every third word is the rumbling of his potential eruption. <laughs> like, it's so smart. The Green Lantern who works on the sound frequency, who's blind, and early on we find out that he doesn't understand certain words that are vision-based because oh, he has no reference. So good. That is yeah. genius. That is amazing. So do you know that that—so that's— um. Oh, I can't think of his name, but he's he's called the F sharp bell. Or yes. he has an F sharp bell. Yeah, because gre- he doesn't have a concept of color. Like he doesn't have a concept of green. Do you know that's from a, an Alan Moore short story? No. Yeah, that's that's one of the Alan Moore '80s uh, Green Lantern short stories he did. Oh, that's so good. And I can't think. I think it's a Green Lantern core thing. So that that's which is, to me is hilarious because Morrison has like an ongoing one sided feud with Alan Moore, <laughs> but he's also clearly pulling in that character who is. You, you should check out that story. I'll see if I can pull oh, the issue because it's great. I remember reading that like like post like close to just having read Watchmen and thinking like this is the most amazing 
comic book writer I've ever, I've ever possibly imagined. Um, yeah, no. So, it, but that's the thing is like it's pulling from the entire mythos. It's not just the Silver Age exclusively, but it's definitely, obviously, the the core focus of what we're talking about here. So, all right, that's a good, I think, amount of background on the Green Lantern on some things that it's doing well and interesting. Here's the question: Is this the right approach? Um, basically, like, why is this? Why is the Silver Age so frequently ignored or overlooked? If it, this is as fun as we're sort of <laughs> like, obviously, we really like this book. I guess why don't more writers do these sorts of things? Or like, why does it kind of get ignored? What's your, what's your theory? The the reason why it gets ignored is one name long, and that's Frank Miller. That yeah. Frank Miller, as much as I I love his work. When he came on the scene, he rewrote comics to be these grim, dark issues that are constantly punishing heroes, constantly grinding them down into their baser elements, and then building them back up, which is the antithesis of the approach of Silver Age, which was just constantly add things to the heroes, just constantly add things. Right. And I, I think this is a good time to try to get back to the ideas— some of the ideas, anyways, that were in the the Silver Age that you can just pick up and enjoy comic books. And a number of the issues of Green Lantern in this run, even after it switches to Cosmic, a number of them you can just pick up and read, even if you don't necessarily yeah. know what's going on. And most importantly, even if you don't understand some of the references that are happening, you can just sit down and read that these are weird aliens. The plot hinges on... The beginning of, you know, from page one to the final page on 24, and that's it. Yeah, I, th great. I think that's an interesting theory, definitely. I I question the accessibility of the single issue. Like, I, I think you're right that Green Lantern 1 through, let's say, 8, are they are really one-and-done type stories would be the term we would use now. You know, like, for example, there's a story where Hal is trapped inside his ring. Mm -hmm. And he sort of he sort of meets and uncovers the AI, which I when I was doing sort of a Silver Age scan, there's a prisoner of the power ring story. Like, lo and behold, there's the, you know, there's the inspiration. Um, but, you know, that story, I think, yeah, you could pick that up. And it's just like, hey, there's a Green Lantern in his ring. He's sort of caring for the AI, which turns out, you know, there's this woman who turns out to be the AI of his ring. That said, Morrison's approach to storytelling is so referential that I, I just I could never hand someone the Green Lantern number seven in good faith who like a, and expect them to enjoy it if they didn't at least have like a, a like Morrison 101. You know what I mean? Like there is a learning curve to to the way he tells stories, I think, because they move so fast mm -hmm. and there's so little context. I, I think a new reader and I'm I'm hypothesizing for an audience that I am no longer fit in, but I think a new reader could feel like they missed every second panel. You know what I mean? Like almost like they're missing pages. I think part of that is less about the referential to other comics because you can read a lot of these things with just a cursory understanding of Green Lantern. Yeah. And I think at this point in time, I think most human beings on earth probably have that. Uh, it just <laughs> right, seems yeah. unavoidable. I think yeah. it's more so in the way that, to me, it's in how Grant Morrison asks people to to buy into some of these bigger and bigger and bigger ideas. And they're not necessarily unique to comics. You don't need a big foothold in DC to understand them. But you need to be able to accept the fact that the creature that he's talking to is the AI that's in his ring, and he's inside of it talking to it, and a hidden wizard. That, yeah, right. With a, with a weird name full of way too many consonants. <laughs> 
No, yeah, I think that's a good point. I think it's a good point. There's there's a maybe a more surface level, just like uh, actually, this is a sci-fi story where there's an auction for the planet Earth, mm-hmm. and somebody who looks like God comes and, and buys it. Right. And no, you don't have to have read any Green Lantern comics to just take like, oh, this is a wild sci-fi context um, comic. Let's roll. So yeah, I think there's more of that than not. I yeah. guess. All right, I think we're getting relatively close to wrapping. Before we do that, mm-hmm. what's like? What would you say is your favorite, like, sort of, I guess your favorite issue of the run so far? Let's start there. My favorite issue. Uh. Because that's, I guess, what I'm kind of getting at there is, like, just to hone in on the fact that you can really look at each issue Mm -hmm. as a piece in a way that you can't with a lot of contemporary runs. You know, where it'd be like, oh, this trade paperback collects issues 33 through 38. They are all one story. They all blend for me. With the Green Lantern, I'm like, well, this happened in one, this happened in, you know, it's like they're separate pieces for sure. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I loved I loved issue three with the buying of worlds. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I think the one that's going to be the standout is the annual. There are these great oh, examples okay. in that comic where Hal Jordan is talking to Hal Jr. And he's he's lecturing him or he's lecturing or Hal is lecturing his family. And yeah. if you read the things that he's saying, they all directly apply to Jordan himself. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the kind of characterization that I'm hoping we see more of in the future issues. But it works if you've got you know if you've got no understanding of the character or or anything else in the world. I think that issue still really works and is a lot of fun. It's a story about Hal Jordan having to fight a uh, basically a Sonic the Hedgehog looking alien, which is very interesting. It was created by Mark Millar, I think. Is this wait wait, wait what are you referencing? The the alien that Hal fights in the annual the the blue yeah. sound based alien that's radio waved that's fighting yeah. the wireless ones. He was designed to look like Sonic the Hedgehog originally by Mark Millar. Is that from that? Is that from like the '90s Flash run they did together? Uh, it's on Millar's, yeah. Because I think, uh, yeah, okay, no, I think I know what you're talking about. Because like the Flash races Sonic at one point in the '90s. I haven't actually oh, read this. Hilarious. I just know this happens. So, <laughs> or something like him. So I'm wondering if that's a callback. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, that's so, amazing. You yeah. know, on the one hand, it's a really fun story that works just for that. But on the other hand, if you know Hal Jordan's character a little bit, everything that he's saying when he's lecturing or fighting works really really well for him talking about himself and revealing what he's done wrong which is good and on top of which again hal solves a lot of the problems without using any of his powers like i do love that he's yeah. he solves the main crisis of the issue by starting a fight with his family like it's great <laughs> it works really really which well comes very naturally to him exactly right? so yeah no that is pretty good you know what's funny? We both picked our favorites are the two of the three issues that are Earth-based in this extremely cosmic <laughs> in this extremely cosmic story. We were both like, mm, I do kind of like it when he's on Earth, actually. Yeah, it works. Um, but no, I, I like I like a lot of the rest of the stuff too. I think my biggest critique of the Green Lantern so far, but so I'll say the positive first. The positive is for me. The the value of reading, like I said, the Adventures and Poor Taste type reviews, or the if you just Google the Green Lantern annotations, you'll find stuff. The value of like seeing everything they're pulling from as you do a reread of the Green Lantern. If you read it and were a little out on it, I would really recommend trying that, um, especially if you expected to like it more, because that was kind of my experience. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Now I think I love it. And and that was kind of a cool experience for me. I haven't had that in a while, you know, where I go back and something's better than it was the first time. My critique of it so far, I think, would be um, 
and I kind of lost my train of thought. But my main critique of it would be there's some like stylistic things. For example, like the the issue where they're trapped inside the ring. There mm-hmm. Morrison takes like um he does almost like prose. Yeah, you know I'm talking about he does like almost like fantasy prose, and none of it's in caption boxes. And it's not only dense, but it's literally hard to read. Uh, and far be it for me to to critique Tom Warzakowski, the man who lettered Chris Claremont on Uncanny X-Men for years <laughs> and years. A legend, a comic book Hall of Famer. But that issue was really hard to read. I had a tough time with it, and I didn't find it particularly rewarding, like the actual um, creative choice. I appreciate the ambition. I think it was kind of a dud in the run. So that's that's my that's the biggest critique I can pull out. <laughs> yeah, I definitely... I liked what he, I thought he was trying to go for with that issue, but I definitely agree that it just it wasn't as smooth as a lot of the other stuff that we've come to expect from from Morrison. It reminded me of in his Batman run, there's an issue that is just like a Joker story, uh, but it's like prose. Hmm. You know what I'm talking about? It's like all text, and it reminded me of that, except less um, less successful. I, it's it's one of those things that either you have to dedicate yourself to fully and go you know like full Alan Moore on or yeah. You know, you have to, it's a difficult thing. I don't know. I think my big concern right now, or my big critique, is that there's a bunch of dangling threads, and I don't know which one he's going to pull on next. So let's let's talk about those for a second, because I'm, I'm curious as well. So I think thread number one is like the question about the status of Green Lantern Police Force, mm-hmm. and just questioning, like, is it right? Is it overbearing, et cetera? Yeah. Big picture type stuff. The second dangling thread for me is everything with Controller Mew and the Black Stars as this organization that has big plans <laughs> to sort of, um, you know, like like mess with, or that's not the right word, but like to take over the Green Lantern's role in the galaxy, right? So I don't totally know at this point what they're planning. Yeah. Like we got a semi-conclusion, but to me it feels like it's still hanging because I think Beelzebeth is still out there, yeah. which is a great name. Yes, it is. Um, and then third is all the multiverse stuff, which it seems like they're going to commit to pretty fully. But at the same time, you know, they've said, OK, it's going to be 24 issues. And this is going to be Grant Morrison's last DC superhero comic work is at least the word on the street right now. Right. That's how they're publicizing this. How, how are they going to deal with every multiversal idea he's ever had in 12 issues? You know, that seems tough, too. I mean, it's fully possible that Grant Morrison could do that. <laughs> I That's what I'm excited for. Yeah, that is the thing that he could do. And it feels like that's maybe if I had to bet, I would say that that's the way. That because gonna otherwise, go. it's going to feel like they're coming back down, right? Right. I mean, my theory would be probably number two ties into number three. So mm. Mew and the Black Stars. Maybe there's a multiversal version of them that comes into play here, and they're the ones who released the Quaman, or somehow they're working with Quard or something like that. And my hope is all of this multiversal investigation. That probably by the time we re- we release this, it'll be like Green Lantern Eleven will have already explained. But I think all, my hope is that all this is building to like really like a multiversal crisis on Infinite Earths kind of thing, which obviously has been done. Mm-hmm. But it kind of just seems like the natural, like with Morrison's love of DC history and with the elements they're playing with. And again, like they're literally the villain here is the antimatter core. That's where the antimatter is from. I feel like it's going to be a riff on Crisis. It might be. I mean, that would certainly be the logical thing, but also that seems too obvious for more. Or, I'm sorry, for Morrison. Yeah, it um, does, yeah. I would imagine it's probably going to be something else, and it's probably going to be something a little bit more maudlin than what we're suggesting. He strikes me as a guy who'd want to go out a little bittersweet. 
Also, I'll maybe be a little disappointed if that's the route that they go, because they've raised some really interesting questions about the the Lantern Corps yeah. that are, you know, dramatic and uncomfortable. You know, uh, issue one starts out with Tox using a bioengineered weapon of basically against somebody for a minor infraction when he uses yeah. the, the sentient virus on them. That's a huge use of force. And yeah. every couple issues, there are all these quotes about Hal Jordan. Like issue one, he starts out saying that he'll fight any fool who's up to it, which is like a crazy thing for a space cop to say. Yeah. Later on, when he's caught in the ring uh, with Mirror Hidden, there's the direct line. I was I was going to bring up, I think Hal killed a guy <laughs> in, in issue three. Yeah. Well, they kind they kind of do. It, uh, that's an interesting dangling plot thread because so they hell yeah and now he's just gone like, yeah what i feel like he's on wanted posters but there's like maybe three of them around the entire oa you know <laughs> there's like like they just kind of like one by the uh, water uh, fountain just like yeah that. like if you see him uh, you know whatever once again hell jordan has to be arrested for crimes against the universe yeah at this point why take down the wanted poster yeah <laughs> <laughs> just leave him up just update the photo <laughs> there you go all right, very good. Um, so yeah, big picture. I think this one's a lot of fun. It gives a lot to chew on beyond just the context and the content of you know the specific plot, which I think is why we picked it to talk about. It's it's a really fun, dense book. I think it fits really nicely into the Grant Morrison legacy at DC. Mm-hmm. You know, he's had these amazing runs on Batman, JLA, All Star Superman, or even obviously as he got to start Doom Patrol, Animal Man, that type of stuff. The Green Lantern was a surprising pick to me, as was Hal Jordan. Yeah. But I think as we talked about, like we're seeing we're seeing the reasons for that. And I think the reasons for that are a love of the Silver Age and this sort of this sort of ethos that I, I kinda wonder if it's like almost aspirational for other creators to be like, I'm doing this, you can too. Maybe don't ignore this stuff. Maybe he doesn't think in those terms. Um, and then of course there's also just the opportunity for him to play with all the multiversal stuff that that he's loved for some time. I've been really impressed with the fact that this is so deeply referential of older DC stuff as you've brought up and yet it is incredibly accessible I think to people who have really only a, a very simple understanding of comic books. You know, I I don't want to go too deep on this cuz obviously I think this we could talk about a bit more, mm-hmm. but I do wonder if my own disagreement about the accessibility stems from d- different types of readers maybe, and I'm the type of reader who if I see something I don't know or a character because I expect to know them, mm-hmm. I obsess about wait i don't know them i'm missing something and if i'm missing something i can't enjoy this as much (laughs) as i want to you know what i mean i could totally understand that but thankfully we now live outside of the 70s we have google and it's really easy to find those things no i refuse i sit (laughs) and i think about it (laughs) until i get it yeah no you're totally right uh and on top of which i think that at the end no matter what this winds up being I think Grant Morrison's going to do a really good job of, in a way, reintroducing DC's history to itself. Mm-hmm. That he will pull from so many different ideas. He will pull from such deep catalogs. He will expand out uh, the universe in different ways and have interesting things to say about how powers are used. Because already I've learned new things about how Green Lanterns use their powers. Right. That I think that if this is how he leaves it, this is a great way to kind of soft restart things for DC. Interesting. All right. Is there anything else you want to touch on? 
I mean, I could go all day about my boy Volk, but no, I think <laughs> we'll say we'll do a Volk pod uh, when the <laughs> series is done. I think that that makes a lot of sense. All right, cool. So this has been uh, best comics ever. Here you're listening to the Comic Book Herald channel. I'm Dave Busing. Again, you can find me everywhere at Comic Book Herald online or of course just go to comicbookherald.com uh if you like this type of conversation that john and i are doing you know we're kind of just kicking things off here and trying to want to do a lot more uh let us know you know uh, leave us a comment here on comicbookherald.com over on youtube the, the podcast wherever you get it or just um you know i don't know like just write it on paper and we'll just feel the vibes <laughs> we'll just, you know like like the magic lantern we'll just be grooving on your vibes I think so Perfect. all right unless you have something else uh i think thanks for listening everybody and we'll we'll be back again soon with some more comics talk but until then enjoy the comics take it easy everybody